It is a very common thing to hear Christians talk about the gospel. Some churches even have the name gospel in their title. Preachers get into pulpits and they say, This morning I'm going to preach to you the gospel. My concern over the last few years as I've spoken to pastors and teachers of the word, I'm increasingly convinced that many people have heard and have accepted an incomplete version of the gospel revealed in scripture. So as we sit in church Sunday by Sunday, we do not always get the full gospel. And, and so Peter Bates is fond of saying you can't just come to church once. You have to come over several months in order to get the whole thing. But I fear that even in some context, if you stayed in a particular worship setting for years, you would still be given an incomplete version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In an effort to make the gospel more accessible, more understandable, I fear that many preachers have left an important element out. Many preachers and Bible teachers have neglected to emphasize the purpose for which we are saved. The purpose for which we are saved. We focus, many of us, on what we're saved from rather than what we're saved for. Many, many preachers have found it far more compelling to say, you want to be removed, you want your guilt removed, you want your sin forgiven, you want to avoid judgment and hell, then believe this. The emphasis has been on what we're saved from, with, with little or no emphasis on what we're saved for. We've framed the gospel exclusively as a rescue mission. And we fail to articulate that it is also a restoration mission. That God is renovating our hearts and He's renovating our lives. The idea is that when Jesus saves us, He saves us to become something. To become someone different and to be marked in particular ways by particular characteristics. And these characteristics, they demonstrate that indeed Christ has redeemed us. And that indeed His Spirit indwells us. Now I don't want to make it sound like these characteristics that we're supposed to manifest, I don't want to make it sound like these are the ground of our salvation, but the characteristics are the evidence of it. Now someone may come along and object and say, Pastor, stop complicating things. Why can't we just say, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? Why isn't that enough to say that? Here's my answer. We live in a highly Christianized society, here in the Bahamas in particular. We live in a highly Christianized society where the vast majority of the population thinks they are a Christian simply because they believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. My question is this, if our life 
bears no resemblance to Jesus. If our life bears no resemblance to the way he lived, how can we have confidence that we truly belong to him? How can we have confidence that we truly belong to Christ if there's nothing in our life that looks the way Christ's life looked? Now, again, I'm not suggesting that Christ-likeness is how we earn eternal life. I'm not suggesting that if we live in a particular way, this earns us a place into heaven. What I'm suggesting is that if Christ has redeemed you, the inevitable outcome of that redemption will that it will be that you will be marked by particular characteristics you'll be marked by Christ like characteristics accordingly i want to demonstrate from the scriptures this morning that we're called to something far bigger than mere belief We're called to something bigger than mere belief. The Christian faith requires something more than for you to intellectually agree to some basic principles. When Christ redeems you, he also calls you to treasure something. When Christ redeems you, he calls you to treasure him. I was thinking about this all week long. If my primary job description as a pastor is to ensure that the majority of the people I serve agree with a set of biblical principles about who Jesus is and about what Jesus did and how salvation is obtained, if my job is merely to get you to agree to a certain set of principles, then I have the easiest job in this country. The vast majority of people I serve already know who Jesus is. You already confess that Jesus is the Holy Son of God. I'm preaching to the choir. The vast majority of people I serve also know how to get into heaven. You know how salvation is gained. You know it's by grace through faith, not of works, not of yourselves that no one can boast. You know you're saved by grace. What challenges me, what sends me to my knees in prayer, is this nagging sense that we don't yet treasure Jesus as we ought. That we don't love him as we ought. I look in the mirror and I assess my own relationship with Jesus. And if I'm honest with myself, I don't love Jesus as much as I ought. My prayer is, Lord, I love you. Help help me to love you more. Help me to love you as I ought to love you. The more I study the scriptures, the more I see and am compelled by the surpassing value of Jesus Christ, my Lord. That nothing in this universe ought to be treasured like we treasure Him. Now if I simply speak to you in ought to's, if I simply use the language of obligation and the language of duty this morning, we're all going to feel a little bit more guilty 
And we're going to leave here with our head hung low, realizing we don't love Jesus as we ought. My aim is not to make you feel guilty. My aim is not to make you feel guilty, but rather my aim is, is for you to see how magnificent Jesus Christ is. I want you to see how infinitely valuable a relationship with Christ is. How infinitely valuable an eternity with Christ is. I'm utterly convinced that we will live in greater conformity to Jesus Christ if we place the right value on our relationship with Him. When we assign the correct value to Jesus, the overflow will be a life of devotion to Him. I don't think it would be entirely helpful for you if I stood here each and every Sunday and I simply stood up and said, I hope you will have a greater level of commitment to Christ and His mission. I hope you will step up your commitment to Him with regard to your Christian life. I don't think that would be a particularly helpful approach Sunday by Sunday. But if I can present Jesus in a way to you, if I can present Jesus in such a way that you come away seeing how magnificent He is, how glorious He is, if you could walk out of this building on a Sunday morning saying Jesus is supreme and He ought to be supreme to me, then everything else will take care of itself. If I could only magnify Jesus, if I could only shine a bright enough light on who He is and what He has done and what He will still do, we would do all the right things. We would live the right way. If Jesus becomes your greatest treasure, your commitment to Him, your devotion to Him, it will naturally increase. Do you ever picture, as I sometimes do, what it will be like the moment you die and you pass from this life into eternity? I don't know if it sounds strange to hear that from a 40-something-year-old preacher. I think about it all the time. What will it be like the moment I die and the moment I pass from this life into the next? Have you ever wondered what your response will be when you finally see the Almighty face to face? No veil, no shielding of His glory. You see God in His glory face to face. Have you ever thought about what your response will be? Because I'm pretty certain there will be at least a moment, at least a moment, hopefully not much longer, when I will feel totally embarrassed by how much I undervalued God and underappreciated His glory. I imagine there will be a moment when I will think to myself, why did I waste so much time and energy on things that are of no eternal significance? Why, Lord, did I not worship you more? Why didn't I worship you with more passion? Why didn't I talk to you more in prayer? Why didn't I treasure you more? 
at least for a moment, I will lament all of those things that I gave my time and energy and resources to that have little or no impact upon eternity. Thankfully, there's time for a course correction. There's time to get it right. Today is the day for the course correction. It's not too late to begin assigning appropriate value to God and His kingdom. And that's why Jesus gives these parables. It's a course correction. It's a way to assign the right price tag. I look at Robin Brownrigg over there. He makes a living assessing the value of property. And, and he conveys the value of the property of the person who brought him in. Have you brought me in to assess the value of Jesus Christ? Because if you have, I want you to know it's worth everything. It's worth everything you have and everything you are. It's the most valuable thing in the universe. Listen to what Jesus says again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had, and he bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In each of the two parables, something is discovered that is so valuable that everything else is sold in order to possess it. Jesus is saying that heaven is so precious, heaven is so valuable that no price tag is too high. No assessment is going to be too high. John Piper puts it this way, The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth, but getting the kingdom, is a happy trade-off. How many of us could say that? How many of us could honestly say that? We want the treasure, we want the pearl, but we, would, we get up, would we give up everything in order to have it? And yes, I understand where this illustration, this parable of Jesus breaks down. Salvation is not something you purchase. Salvation is a free gift that God has purchased on our behalf. I understand that you cannot buy the kingdom of heaven. And yet, once Christ redeems you, once Christ redeems you, exchanges need to take place. Trades need to be made. We begin to give up things that we once valued in order to live in closer proximity to Jesus and His ways. You might recall that this was precisely what the Apostle Paul experienced. If you were to open up to Philippians chapter 3, you would see, you would hear, you would read Paul describing... The exact activity that Jesus prescribes in Matthew 13. This is what Paul says. He says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Maybe you've had this experience that I've had where someone stands up in front of a group of people or stands up in front of a church and gives their testimony. This is what Paul's doing here in Philippians 3, sharing his testimony. But in the testimonies, that some of the testimonies you and I have heard, the person gets up and tells you all the bad things they did and all the bad things they gave up in order to gain Christ. But Jesus isn't describing that, is he? Paul isn't describing that, is he? They're not talking about giving up bad things for Christ. They're not talking about giving up sin to gain the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' parables, it's things of great value that are given up. According to Paul, it was the things that he counted as gain, the things that were a profit to him that he exchanged. To gain the treasure and the pearl. It's not simply about giving up the bad things. I'm thinking there's probably many good things that you and I are engaged in that interfere with our treasuring Jesus Christ. Paul gives up that which he considered to be of great value in order that he might gain Christ. Now someone may hear that and object, well, come on, Bryn, you want me to desert my family? You want me to say, sorry, uh, sorry kids, you're going to have to look after yourself. I'm treasuring Christ above all else. I'm giving up on you. Do you expect me to quit my job in order to possess Christ? No, I'm not. But I do want to ask you a question. What is your greatest love? What is the most precious thing in your life? What do you treasure the most? Because as we saw in the video, for most of us, the problem is not that we don't love God. Because we do love God. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be here today if we didn't love God. Our problem isn't that we don't love God. It's that we don't love Him first. It's that we don't love Him more than anything else and everything else. It's not that Jesus isn't important to us. He is. It's that he's not yet the most important part of our life. If we have properly assessed the value of Christ, if we understand how valuable an eternal fellowship with Christ is, it makes perfect sense that he would occupy first place in our life. But here's the challenge. Many people have not yet discovered what Paul discovered. Many who have some sense who Jesus is and some sense of what he has done, these folks have not yet come to see the surpassing value of Jesus. Most people understand that Jesus is important. But how many would say that a relationship with him is of surpassing value? There are many, probably more than I'd like to number, who believe in Jesus, 
But don't see Jesus as that fine pearl worth giving up everything else for. Now some of you have heard an illustration I've used in the past. It's, it's a silly illustration, but I think it is a helpful illustration that speaks to this whole scenario of not assessing the right value to Jesus Christ. And it's an analogy of my, it's an illustration from my childhood and my eating habits, which are not very good today, by the way, uh, but they were even more skewed as a young boy. As a young boy, and this won't surprise some of you, my favorite food in the world was hamburger. If you gave me a hamburger, I was the happiest child alive. Send me to McDonald's and give me a Happy Meal, and this, I was in my glory. And so my, my parents figured out a way to leverage my love for hamburgers in, in a way that was helpful to the household. And my mother is here today, so she can verify all this if you need to fact check later on today. But here's what would happen in my household. Knowing that I loved hamburgers so much, they would have steak night. And everyone in my house would have a steak, and I would refuse. No, no steak for me. I refuse to eat steak. I want my hamburger. Well, no problem. You know, they didn't force it on me at all. You see, in my household, the favorite steak of choice was filet mignon. You know, beef tenderloin filet wrapped in bacon. And so my mother was perfectly happy not wasting all that money on a child who would prefer hamburger. So why, why in the world would I ever choose ground beef over filet mignon? Why when confronted between these two options would I ever choose to eat a hamburger? Well, if you're tracking with me, you know the answer. I'd obviously never eaten filet mignon before. I had no idea what it tasted like. You see, my experience was limited. And in my limited experience, I could not conceive of a food on this earth better than a hamburger. It wasn't until I tasted filet mignon that I realized what a dumbo I'd been all my life. I worry, my fear is, that we have not tasted Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the scripture. We've got a snapshot of him, we've got some sense of who he is, but until we uh, digest entirely who Jesus is, we constantly choose hamburger. We constantly choose less than what Christ offers because we have not come to fully appreciate how magnificent He is and how suitable He is to fill our largest voids in life. C.S. Lewis, a well-known author, I think many of you are familiar with him, I love the way he puts it. We sometimes think that our problem is temptation is too strong and our desire for things is too strong. And C.S. Lewis says that's not the problem at all. C.S. Lewis says our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Lewis says we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're choosing things that are less than. As Francis Chan said, describing the prophet Jeremiah's message, we've chosen cisterns that can't even hold water. When the fountain of the waters of life is at hand and available to us. Now I want to draw your attention back to Matthew 13 as I close this out. Because there's a phrase in the first of the parables that gets my, gets my attention and encourages my heart. If you've got, uh, it actually it'll probably be up on the screen. But it's a very important phrase here in terms of what's going to motivate us to value Jesus Christ as we ought. Jesus says, after the man discovers the treasure, Jesus says, In his joy... He went and sold everything he had. Hear that. In his joy, he went and sold everything. Because it's sometimes the case, isn't it? When Jesus is presented as the supreme one, you're sitting there thinking, okay, it's probably the right thing to do. You know, some, some sensible statements being made. I feel a conviction or an obligation or a duty to elevate my feelings and my commitment about Jesus. That's not what the man did when he found the treasure. He didn't look at the treasure and pull out a calculator. Oh, this, this treasure's worth a fair bit. Now let me just add up, you know, my possessions. Oh, I see that the treasure's worth more than what I've got over here. It's not like he does this meticulous business transaction. In his joy, he immediately says, I've got to get rid of all this in order that I can have that. It's joy that motivates him. Not a sense of duty. Not a sense of obligation. And my worry is that when we gather for worship, we gather not because we're inspired to, but sometimes we gather for worship because it's our habit. That's what we do on Sunday morning. I go to the curb. I sing a few hymns. I hear Bryn get excited in the pulpit and I go home. But you don't come necessarily because you have this sense of joy. We think, well, we'll come to church because it's the right thing to do. My parents raised me to do the right thing. And the right thing to do is to go to honor the Lord's Day by giving an hour and a quarter on Sunday. Finding the treasure... Finding the pearl of great value is meant to bring out from us joy. As we we come to worship Him and we're overwhelmed by the joy of who Christ is, the joy of what He's done, He's forgiven us of all our sin, He's taken away our guilt, He hung on a cross and was forsaken by God so that we never have to be forsaken. The penalty which we deserve fell on Him and all I have to do is believe in Him and I'm saved. All I have to do is treasure Him the rest of my life. It should bring us great joy. It should bring us immense joy to worship Christ. It should be the source of great joy 
to treasure Him above everything else. The parable doesn't say the man sold everything he had because it was a really good business decision. The man sold everything to get the treasure because possessing the treasure maximized his joy. Am I trying to make you feel guilty today? No. I want to maximize your joy. I want to maximize your joy by making much of Jesus and pleading with you to treasure Him above everything else. I agree with Don Carson, who says, if you seek joy, if you seek joy, you will not find it. But if you seek Christ, you will find joy. The way to joy, the way to lasting satisfaction is the way of Christ. It's assigning the correct value to Him and a relationship with Him. This is the way to joy. Christ is the pearl of great value. So much so that if we lose everything and we gain Him and we gain heaven, it's a happy trade-off. So my prayer for you is that you won't leave here this morning feeling guilty. My prayer is that you will not merely believe some principles about who Jesus is. But my prayer for each and every one of you is that you will treasure Jesus Christ as the one of surpassing value. And that you will learn that as you treasure Him above all things, that this will be the source of your greatest joy. Maximize your joy. Run after and treasure Jesus Christ. Amen.